The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And again, a big welcome to everyone. Thanks for coming. If you're new here, my name is Mark Nunberg, and one of the guiding teachers, along with Shelley Graff, one of the founders of Common Ground, now in our 30th. Actually, we're getting really close to the specific month of our 30th anniversary. We started, we closed on the original Common Ground building uh, September 1st in 1993. And then we bought this building in 2006. So, uh, yeah, we've been around for 30 years now. Using the teachings of the Buddha in this very straightforward, practical way, because they still are really useful. And uh, I've been talking about renunciation the last few weeks. I'll probably do so for another couple weeks. And it's it's surprising, you know, that... I mean, we know on some level that letting go helps, right? We also know that I can't make myself let go. Right? Have you ever noticed that? Like, I'm so attached. I know I shouldn't be attached. But it's not like we can do that parental wag and tell ourselves to stop being attached, stop craving. But craving isn't something that you as some kind of naughty child are doing, you know, when you're really attached, really addicted, really obsessed. We think of it that way. We think, I'm just being bad. And, uh, you know, if only I had the right kind of punishment to give myself, I'd probably stop being so bad, right? That's the mentality we have. I mean, we do that, we put that on each other too, don't we? Like our partner being bad, you know, or the politician being bad, those people being bad, you know? And and it's as if they're choosing to be bad as opposed to the Buddhist perspective is causes and conditions, Whatever somebody does, you or me, it is the lawful movement of causes and conditions. That doesn't mean we're kind of, people aren't responsible for what they do in that kind of relative sense. Yeah, we're responsible. And the way we take responsibility is actually to understand our situation as human beings. And it's, there's just this uh, lawfulness to our misunderstanding. And one of the best ways it's described, I think, in, the, in terms of the talks the Buddha gave some 2,600 years ago that fortunately got recorded you know, orally for about 500 years and then written down, so recorded imperfectly, right? Because how does something get recorded perfectly that long? But still, we can sense some deep wisdom that is useful for us this many years later. So this sutta is called um, the arrow or the dart, depending on how it gets translated. And sometimes it's referred to as the second dart or the second arrow. But there's a lot of depth in this teaching about the nature of our mind, and in particular, these ways we cycle through suffering, where the way that I'm relating to difficulty in life 
actually supports the continuation of the difficulty in my life. And in Buddhist terms, we call that samsara. That very powerful way that we participate in the perpetuation of suffering for ourselves and others. So nobody, I think, would argue that there isn't misery and suffering in our own lives and people around us. But where we tend to have a lot of arguments is like the cause. And we tend to want to externalize the cause. It's those people over there. Even, you know, within our own mind, it's like, oh, that tendency there. And this is where the Buddha really is an expert. You know, the Buddha may not have great advice for what, what to do with your potty training your child or raising a teenager or things like that. But the, cha- the Buddha has a lot, in my mind at least, a lot of practical wisdom about what we do with suffering and release. How we participate in ex- the experience of suffering for ourselves and others and how we can participate in the releasing of that entanglements, those entanglements, that heaviness. There's a way, and it's functional, it's practical. We can engage that way, we can learn. So here's the the discourse, a lot of sweet parts to it. So the Buddha's talking to some of his students, practitioners, an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, i.e., most of us, most of the time, right? feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and neutral feelings. But a well-instructed disciple of the Buddha, of of an awakened one, you know, somebody who's a good student, they also feel feelings of pleasure, pain, and neutrality. So then he's asking his students, so what's the difference? What's the distinction? What distinguishing factor is there between a well-instructed, well-practiced student and just somebody who hasn't practiced. What's the difference? Both seem to experience pleasure, pain, and neutrality in terms of mental experience, physical experience. I mean, we all are in that boat, right? Sometimes our thoughts are pleasant, sometimes they're painful, sometimes they're just sort of neutral, either obviously painful or pleasurable. Same with our sounds that we hear and sights that we see and touches that we feel and smells and tastes that we smell and taste. Sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes neutral. Same with the awakened ones, the wise ones, right? So what what difference is there, if any? And I love this answer. The students say to the Buddha, as for us, you know, the teachings and the practices that we're doing, they really are rooted in what you, our teacher, have said. So it would be better for you to answer that question. (laughs) So the Buddha does, right? Having heard it, having heard the answer from you, we'll remember it, they said. And so then the Buddha says, in that case, practitioners, listen and pay close attention. I will speak. As you say, that it will serve. The practitioners respond. So the Buddha says, when touched with a feeling of pain, 
the ordinary person sorrows, grieves, laments, beats their breast, becomes distraught, right? I mean, we have our own version of that. So a person then feels two pains, the initial pain of that difficult experience, and then the secondary pain of our reaction to the painful, unpleasant, whatever experience that we're experiencing. And that could be, you know, like a a painful thought, painful emotion, painful sound, painful sensation, right? We have two. That's the second arrow, you know, and he uses that simile just as if someone gets shot with a dart or an arrow were to take another dart and arrow. Because that's what we do. We freak out when things are difficult. And the freak out, I mean, just to be, you know, to exaggerate some, I mean, not always, it's not always an exaggeration. We react in a stressful way. And interestingly, a lot of the times, the pain of the reaction is more intense than the pain the original pain. And we really learn that in sitting meditation where there will be like knee pain or back pain and maybe we're distracted and then awareness comes back online and we're aware, oh, body hurts. And then in kind of deconstructing our experience, we realize that there's the pain and then there's all of that mental, emotional activity of not liking the physical pain, feeling threatened by the pain in my knee or the pain in my back. And if we're fortunate and the, and the mind finds a way to disengage from the not liking of the physical pain, we learn an important lesson, like how much more the unpleasantness of not liking the pain was than the actual throbbing or aching or whatever that pain is in our leg or our back or wherever we were feeling it. So anyway, just to go back to the teaching now from the Buddha. Right, so he's just, the first teaching is get to know that there are two parts to the discomfort. There's the initial thing that arose through your sensitivity, six senses, so a thought, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, or a sight. Something arose that was unpleasant, and then there was a mental reaction to that. And we can have a mental reaction to a painful thought, too. So it's not just a sound, a painful sound that we have a mental, a stressful reaction to. We can even react to our own memories in a kind of a tight way that has both a physical tension to it and a mental tension to it, right? So that's the first part of the teaching. And then he goes on, he says, as a person is touched by that painful feeling, right, they are resistant. Any obsessing around that resistance, getting identified, even being resentful of the pain. You know, it's interesting, like a mosquito can be bothering us, and it's a problem that we as humans have to deal with when there's a pesky mosquito that wants to suck our blood. But resenting the presence of the mosquito, you know, one, it doesn't eliminate the mosquito. It doesn't eliminate or modify the problem of a little creature wanting to suck our blood, the hating it, the resenting it, the like 
thinking my partner left the window open, you know, or whatever, you know, that might have caused it. And uh, I need to let them know that. You know, and all that, it'd be so much easier if I lived alone. I mean, we go all this, and then we start planting. And it's just more and more burdensome for the heart to kind of be that person that will forever be untouched by discomfort or difficulty, as opposed to just dealing with the unpleasantness of the mosquito. But he's going to make a really subtle, powerful point here. So when we do get identified with the reaction to unpleasant experience, we take the not liking it personally. And so then we personally proliferate around it. Then our experience of unpleasantness becomes more intense because the initial unpleasantness of having a mosquito or pain in the body is now compounded by all of our mental proliferation around it. And it really feels like this is too much. So what do we do? What do you think the Buddha is going to say we do next? How do we manage when there's too many difficult things and are not liking the too many difficult things? What do we do? Well, some of us go get a nice glass of wine, you know, or some of us take out our phones and look for something interesting to distract ourselves with, or we call a friend to complain, or we go see what's in the fridge, you know, or, you know, we open Zillow and we look for houses, you know, or whatever it is. We distract ourselves. We look for a pleasant experience, don't we? And that's the point the Buddha makes next. When touched by the feeling of pain, the uninstructed, ordinary, run-of-the-mill person, right, they have that resentment, that resistance, right, with regard to that painful feeling. Touched by that painful feeling, one delights in sensual pleasure. Why is that? Because the uninstructed, ordinary person does not discern any other escape from painful feeling aside from pleasure. That's going to give me some relief. It actually does give us some relief, right? Like if I there's a bunch of pesky mosquitoes in my bedroom, too many to get rid of, right? We might pull out our computer and watch a movie. It's like, well, if I'm going to be tormented by mosquitoes, I'm going to need an action flick. You know, something that's more intense than my dislike of the mosquitoes. And then I won't be bothered by the mosquitoes. Or whatever you do to escape the difficult experience. And then that dependence on pleasure, pleasant experience, that affects our mind. And the way the Buddha says that it affects your mind is, all of a sudden now, because my mind has a real need for and dependence on pleasure, it becomes obsessed in an even more subtle way in ignoring neutral experience, which is really a lot of our life is neutral. Why do you think the Buddha says we ignore neutrality? 
it's boring and it's not delivering what we need. I need pleasure to handle the, the heaviness in my life. And remember, it's not just the immediate heaviness. It's the residual heaviness from having had a bad day or a bad week or a bad decade. <laughs> right? So we're kind of carrying uh, the cumulative stress and even just the cumulative stress with our ideas of the world I live in. We, we're carrying that burden, right? The world on our shoulder. So then we have this obsession around pleasure as a way of modifying the inability, the lack of skill we have or wisdom we have around the difficult, unpleasant experiences that just come with existence. It's not like existence is, a, is a, somehow made a left turn and all of a sudden it's unpleasant. No, no, it's just that's the very nature of existence. There's pleasure, pain, and neutrality. But if we don't know what to do with pain, then we become obsessed with pleasure. When we become obsessed with pleasure, then we become obsessed with neutrality by ignoring it because it doesn't matter because I need the pleasure because of the pain. So the picture that the Buddha's painting that should, when we reflect on it, seem very familiar to us, is that we have a very distorted, unwise relationship to feeling, to the feeling tone, to pleasure, to pleasure, to unpleasantness, and to neutrality, which is basically all of sense experience. We have a distorted, unhelpful, unskillful relationship to. Now the Buddha is going to help us with that, of course. So he sums it up, you know, sensing a feeling of pleasure, one senses is, senses it as though joined with it, attached to it, identified with it. Sensing a feeling of pain, one senses it as though joined with it. Sensing a feeling of neutrality, one senses it as if joined with it. This is called the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, joined with birth, aging, and death, with sorrow, lamentations, pain, distress, and despair, despairs. One is joined, I tell you, with suffering and stress, right? So we take the normal, unavoidable movement of pleasure, pain, and neutrality that just is synonymous with existence. We're a sensitive being. As sensitive beings, we are going to sense pleasure, pain, and neutrality as long as we're sensitive. And uh, the question, you know, and he'll get there between the run-of-the-mill person, the untrained people, and people who really undertaken this training of being awake to their experience, learning from our experience, is that we, ha we can cultivate, we can uncover a different way of relating to pleasure and pain and neutrality. Now just think about in our own experience right now, you know, you might be relatively uncomfortable, you might be relatively comfortable, might be kind of neutral, but we bring a lot of significance to the feelings that we're feeling. They kind of drive the show of our life. 
And you know how it is, like if, if something's bugging us, even something relatively small like having some food between two teeth or some irritating thing somebody said to us a couple of days ago, you know, they really shouldn't have said that. And that may be true on that kind of social sense, you know, like that was an, an inappropriate thing to have said. But it really, the idea of it, the memory and idea of it, it's just, it's like a thorn deep in our heart. Like, that is unpleasant. So it, you see how it skews everything, like, we both keep returning to the unpleasantness of that, and then in a sense, deflecting, because we get so exhausted trying to do something about the unpleasantness, but we don't know what to do, but obsess about it, to lament, to complain, to blame, but all of which is more stress, more discomfort. So then we're so overwhelmed with discomfort, we get obsessed, I need some relief, whatever it is, and sometimes more skillful, sometimes less skillful, right? You might take a nice long walk. That would be a more skillful thing, pleasant thing to do, right? Or make soup or something like that. But we might overdrink or we might do something else that would be less skillful way of managing all of the discomfort we whipped up, the initial discomfort of somebody saying something that got under our skin, and then the much greater discomfort of not knowing what to do with that irritation or that pain of somebody saying something that hurts us. So now he's going to go on and he'll describe what a skillful person does, somebody who's well-trained. They're touched by a feeling of pain, but they don't sorrow, grieve, or lament. They don't beat their breasts or become distraught. So they feel that one pain. So we're still a sensitive human being, Somebody says something mean to us, it still smarts. It really hurts. It is that pain of being connected, you know, socially, where we're vulnerable to feelings of belonging or not belonging, being liked, not being liked. I don't know anybody who's immune, but I do know people who have trained themselves to be able to feel that feeling of insult how it really hurts, or embarrassment, you know, where you do something stupid in a group setting, you know, and you feel that humiliation. It really is a strong feeling. You know where we practice it a little bit more simple places is when you stub your toe or bang your head or get a sliver in your hand or some of these normal physical pains, then if you have the wherewithal, so you might want to a resolve to do this, what I'm about to suggest. Just find a place to sit down so you can be relatively comfortable and just be fully sensitive. Really feel what it feels like to have banged your head on the kitchen cabinet or stubbed your toe or that splinter before you pull it up. Just really see what is the experience of being intimate with pain, physical pain? And then you can work your way up to the insults that, that we get from other people or the other painful social experiences that we have where we just let it in. Some of you know this when 
you've been in the grieving process. And now a lot of the times, you know, we're kind of doing more of the touch and go or orbiting around that deep experience of loss. But there are moments in the grieving process and they can arise for different reasons where the mind, the heart really just turns to the pain of loss. Doesn't try to defend itself. Doesn't try to sort of uh, cover it up with a story uh, that makes, you know, supposedly makes the pain of loss better. We just feel that raw, sometimes empty sense of that loss. That person was there and now they're not there. Or that dog was there and now it's not there. And it feels like this. And it's, uh, it's so painful on the one hand, but it's also so liberating not to have to be running or managing a painful experience. It's just a really painful experience being felt. That's what it is. And to realize as a human being that we have this capacity when pain, whatever the particular kind of pain it is, but when pain comes our way, we have that capacity. Now we want to build up our confidence that this heart can be with the pain that shows up in our life. So start with little pains, little discomforts, mental, physical, emotional pains that come our way. And just give yourself a little space. Oh, this painful experience is here now. I wonder what happens if I just, like I was instructing during the guided meditation, what happens if I just relax and allow myself to be really sensitive, really alert, really interested with this? Might this be the way? And so when somebody can do that with the ordinary pains that come in life, then that person, that wise person who's practicing, they're not going to come up with a distorted way of relating to pleasure. They're not going to have a weird, distorted relationship with pleasure that they're using to manage their pain because they know a better way to manage their pain. Doing my best to feel what it feels like when painful experience arises. And remember, we, it will be messy, especially at first. And it isn't just one move. When we can, yeah, we just really turn to it and we relax with it and we let it be. But it's okay to do the touch and go where we open to it and then we turn away from the pain. And then we turn toward it and then we turn away from it. There's a powerful skill, like as a human being, we need the skill of turning away from pain. We're all going to need that skill. I don't know anybody who doesn't need that skill when pain is overwhelming to turn away from it. You know, and if we have good friends, they help us. Hey, let's go do this. You need a break. Staring at pain, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says this in one of his teachings, a wonderful Vietnamese Buddhist monk um, who passed away not too long ago. But he has this very important teaching where he says, this is a paraphrase, if you just keep staring at pain, it's an act of violence towards yourself. It doesn't help. Because you're looking at it with the idea that this is no good. This is not, you know, this isn't fair. This is too much. 
And that is that then becomes your reality. And you feel like a cornered, caged, whatever, tortured, tormented animal, because that's what you are in those moments. That's what we are in those moments. So being able to turn away and just know that that pain is there, but I'm not going to be with you now. I'm going to really absorb into this activity, really connect with this, which is also true here and now, present moment activity. So it's not like we're going out to La La Land, we're just finding something in the field of the you know, present moment that I can connect with and really attune to so that I don't get sucked into this reactive vortex here with this pain. Because all I can do with it when it's this intense or when my mind is this untrained is react to it, and which is just adding more and more layers of pain. Well, what can I be aware of? And so the Buddha sums it up. He says, sensing a feeling of pleasure, one senses it disjoined from it. I don't really like that translation, disjoined. You could say disentangled from it or not attached to the pleasure. And he goes on to say, same thing with pain. You know, we experience pain not attached to it, not dependent on it, not entangled with it. And we experience neutrality, not dependent on it not entangled with it. Now, it's really important to remember because we tend to want to interpret, just notice right now in your own mind, when we hear that not attached to it, to pain, pleasure, or neutrality, we tend to imagine ourselves being distant from what we're feeling. But the only way to be free from attachment, free from reactivity, the only way that that makes sense is when we're really sensing it, feeling it, intimate with it. It doesn't really make sense to say, you know, you know those other galaxies? I'm really not attached to what's going on there. You know, whether they're sentient life, whether they really got their act together or they, you know, it's more hellish there than it is here. I really have a lot of equanimity about what those... We laugh because it's ridiculous to say, oh, I can have a lot of equanimity if I'm not really sensitive to what's coming and going in my life. I'm just in la-la land. I'm, you know, on drugs or, you know, lost in thought or, you know, obsessed about kitchen gadgets. So I don't really, I'm not really that connected to what's going on with my teenagers. You know, I have a lot of equanimity with my teenagers. I don't have teenagers, by the way, or any kids. Some of you do, I'm sure. And, you know, but you would laugh at that too because, well, yeah, it's one thing to have equanimity when you're totally oblivious, but how about when you really care and you feel touched and you sense that connection? I'm a human being, they're a human being, we're here together, you know, that it matters. That's real equanimity with pleasure, pain, and neutrality when we're really there with it. So that's how we train ourselves, right? It's about, you know, just to be clear, it's about embracing sensitivity, embracing the feelings that show up because we're sensitive human beings 
and we don't want to lose a sensitivity. No one would write a self-help book. There's the ticket, you know, be numb. <laughs> Just don't feel anything and you'll be fine. You know, we don't do that because nobody consciously chooses to be numb. It's too great of a price. But we fall into that habit because we don't know a better way. And it turns out that all the different ways of being disconnected, including being obsessed with pleasure, however, wherever we can get it, you know, I don't care if I have to drive 15 miles, I'm going to get a chocolate bar, you know, even though I don't even like chocolate that much, or they're not going to have the kind of chocolate I like or it only lasts for about 10 minutes, and then I start to feel sick for having eaten so much, right? So it's not really, but just a little break from the unpleasantness, it's worth it. That's what we think when we're caught in that vortex, that obsession, thinking we need some kind of relief. So the Buddha says, this is the difference, this is the distinction, this is the distinguishing factor between a well-instructed student of these teachings and an uninstructed, unpracticed person, right? That they are with the world, the reality of feeling, feeling what they're feeling, sensitive to feeling, but not dependent on feeling. So that's a really interesting thing to, like if we're gonna use our imagination this is a good thing to imagine. Because, you know, like all of us on this holiday weekend, we're going to have an afternoon, whether it's lunch first and then this activity and then that. So whatever it is, but let's imagine us living our life, whatever's happening now, whatever's going to happen down the road, vulnerable to whatever feelings will arise, the pleasure, pain, and, un and neutrality that's going to arise but not dependent, not pushed around, not confused by how it feels. Like one of the practice questions I've learned to ask myself, now it's just kind of second nature, well, what's the underlying feeling here? Can it be okay that I'm feeling this underlying feeling? So, you know, I, I catch myself being a normal, frantic, reactive, obsessed human being, and then the practice kicks back in. Okay, Mark, what's the underlying feeling you're feeling here? What's really going on? It's just a different version of that. What's really going on here? Oh, there's this underlying feeling that I'm feeling, but I don't want to feel it. So I'm doing all this other stuff, this frantic stuff. But so we ask, well, what's the underlying feeling? And then we ask, can it be okay to be feeling this underlying feeling? And then the interesting question is, well, then who do I become? What do I do when I'm okay feeling the underlying feeling? You might be a different human being as you navigate your afternoon, do your lunch, do your activities, knowing that it's okay to feel what we're feeling. So you're standing there, you know, starving, waiting for lunch, but you remember, oh yeah, there's an underlying feeling. And then it's like, your relationship to food may be different. You may be feeling the feeling of being hungry, you know, whatever that feeling is, but you're not confused by it. 
in a sense, there's that stability of wisdom and awareness that knows it feels like this now. That's called being wise. In a Buddhist sense, being wise isn't having the right idea. Being wise is having the right relationship with the present moment, which is being relaxed and intimate. Relaxed and interested enough to be sensitive. Relaxed with the sensitivity. That's what wisdom is. And that's why it has to be moment by moment. Wisdom isn't the sort of ticket we get and then we're wise from that moment onward. Like, because I got the right information. <clears throat> wisdom is this ongoingness. Like, it's a way of meeting this moment. And then we have to be wise in the next moment. We have to be sensitive and... Uh, interested, like, oh, I can relax with the feeling here. I mean, and when we think about a saint or a wise person, we want to think about, we want to think about or imagine those people, those wise people as people who know how to be sensitive, know how to sense, to feel what they're feeling without being confused. So when things are really beautiful, they're not confused by that. One of the, my more recent embarrassing moments was, uh, this is still a couple years ago, but it stands out because it was just classically embarrassing. I was with uh, my teaching colleagues. I was teaching a retreat at Spirit Rock, a big center out in Northern California. And I had given the Dharma talk that night and then the teachers gathered in the teacher room and uh, some of the other teachers were telling me, what a great talk that was, Mark. And I didn't know what to do with that praise, you know. So I got weird. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my teachers who was happened to be teaching that retreat with me, you know, he says, the talk was great, but now you're deluded. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Because that's exactly what it was. It was so nice to see that, like, Oh yeah, it's like it when when we something positive happens, you know. Uh, it's not easy to be with that experience, what that feels like, but it's just a feeling. Oh, it feels like this, you know, that discomfort of the spotlight being on you, or whatever it, that particular situation might be for us. It's like, oh, it's just, it just when it comes right down to it, it's just a feeling, isn't it? What does it feel like? So that's such a powerful question to be able to ask herself. Well, what's the underlying feeling here? And remember, sometimes the underlying feeling is very subtle and maybe subtly neutral or like there isn't a feeling. But that's a feeling too, isn't it? Well, can I be with that feeling? Oh, it feels like this now. Well, maybe it's okay that it feels like this. Maybe I can relax with it. So good to be with everyone. Feel free now to stay for the small groups or say goodbye and hope to see you down the road. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit 
dharmaseed.org slash donate.